0: Now, I'd like to, first of all, have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 18 and 19. And he said to them, I was watching... I remember, this is before his experience on the cross, while he's on this earth. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning... And behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy shall injure you. Now I'm going to read also from Psalm 91.13. You don't have to turn to it unless you'd like to. Speaking here, he will give his angels charge concerning you. Remember, angels are sent as ministering spirits to minister to us who are heirs of salvation. So these angels, and you must believe this. See, if you, if your heart can grasp what I'm saying, for instance, Satan cannot attack me successfully unless I, by my unbelief, drive off that angelic support guard which is around me, and then he can't do too much, even there. He can do some very severe things, but not as much as he'd like to do because God will only allow it to go to a certain extent. He's still training and working with us to bring us to a certain place. But he says, he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, there's a belief I have about myself, my wife, my children, and you. But it doesn't work as well for you or my wife or my children as it works for me. Because first of all, I must have a faith that works for myself. See, I cannot have faith for everyone else but the faith that I have for you because your God's children works in you to bring you to that place where you will have faith for yourself. So there's a certain protectiveness that a man of God and men of God can give to you by their faith. They watch over you, they oversee. That's why you need to have proper shepherding relationships with these shepherding men and their wives because there is a faith that they have, a protectiveness that they exercise toward you. But as you mature in the Lord, it is your own faith that should be operating. And you have to meditate upon this until there is a divine reality in your heart. He has given his angels charge concerning you. In other words, he said to these angels, I charge you, take care of... And they stand by your side to take care of you. Not only do they take care of you, but they are sent to be ministers to you to protect you, to watch over you, to open doors of opportunity and blessing before you, to bring things into your pathway, to open your eyes that you may see certain things. We're not disregarding the work of the Holy Spirit. These two things operate together here. But see, there has to be that deep, abiding belief that the Word of God is true for me. Now, I say when I read this or meditate upon it, I'll be speaking to the Lord like this. He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then I'll stop in my reading of the Bible or my meditation, and I'll say, Father, I thank you that you have given charge to your angels concerning me. I believe that your angels are with me, that they watch over me, that they protect me. That they are a guide around me to keep me from stumbling or falling. Say. Now we can understand that Satan is trying to get, he'd like to get to me now. You cannot see, I cannot see, unless God opened our eyes. But I'm surrounded by the angelic host right now. So are you. And Satan would do anything in his power to break through that cordon of protection to attack us if he could. And only unbelief can push those angels far enough that Satan can shoot some kind of a dart. See, faith, the shield drops. What shield? Is it like, I've got a shield here. See, the shield, it's a good illustration. But the shield is that angelic host that is round about us. Hallelujah. See, and they are sent to guard us in all of our ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, if that is believed, then when I go to bed at night, I do not fear horrible nightmares. What nightmares? The devil has to work on our heads, and he can't get close enough. We are protected by this angelic host. I might say we're also protected by the Holy Spirit within us, God's power about us, many other things. We're in God's hand. We're in Christ's hand. No man can pluck us out. See, if we meditate upon these things and see ourselves there, now here's the devil coming up to get us. See, I want to get them, I want to get them. Now we're in God's hand, right? He says, you can get them. Boom! See, and off the devil is gone. See, so now here these angels have charge over me, and I meditate upon that, See, until that becomes real. Now he says something else. Because this is true, because his Holy Spirit is in us, we shall tread... Upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. Now, who is he speaking about here? Can someone tell me? What are these all symbolisms of? Satan, that's right. Say it loud. Satan, that's right. These are all symbolisms of Satan. Now, when he says, you will trample them, that is referring to what Christ did in the heart of the earth. When he was taken by death, death could not really take him in the sense of tearing him out of his tent. Remember, Jesus said, I have power to lay down my life and power to take it back up again. And he did have power because that power was the power of God which would be given to him at the right time. But when he went out and met death, death pulled him down into the heart of the earth. And there there raged for three days and three nights a terrible battle. Partly a legal battle and partly a battle of power. They had a certain power over him because he was bearing our sins, our iniquities in his own body, he carried them our sicknesses, and he had to die the death of the wicked so that we might not have to die the death of the wicked. And there in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights there raged a battle. Now I'd like you to go back please with me to Luke 10, 18 and 19. Have the rest of the scripture in your mind and then we're going to understand how the Old Testament was. So Luke 10, 18 and 19 I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given to you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. Now I want you to get this picture in your mind. Tread on. See, that doesn't mean throw them off. It means tread upon. Serpents, scorpions, adders and this is speaking about Satan and his hosts. Fallen angels, demonic hosts. I'm not going to a all the wheres and whys of where they came from, except the Scripture says it, and they're there. Now, turn with me, please, to Matthew 16, 18. Jesus Christ here speaking to Peter. Peter just made a tremendous confession. Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said to him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Now again, I repeat, you will never know anything of God by the power of your mind. Your mind can, for the most part, read English language or whatever you're trained in, and it can understand to some extent what the English language says or whatever language, but you will never know what God means by reading the Bible with your mind. It is revealed by the Holy Spirit. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. No man could have told you. No power of thought could arrive at the conclusion, Simon Bar-Jonah, that you just arrived at. This was given you by another source. And that source is my Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. Now, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter... Now, the word Peter means small stone. Then he makes a play on words here. You are a small stone, but upon this rock, now he speaks, he changes the word to massive, unmovable stone. Now, some churches make the idea that Peter is that rock upon which the church is built. That's not the implication here at all, the intent of it. Peter is not the rock on whom the church is built. He's speaking of a massive, immovable rock, and that rock is Christ himself. And upon this rock, Christ, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. Now, listen to this carefully. The gates, one rendering could be the authority of Hades, Or the world of Hades, or another simply, and I believe there are gates, because it speaks about those gates that were cut in sunder and bars of iron that were torn. And the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now let's go back to the word here, the gates Of Hades shall not prevail against it. What is the Lord Jesus speaking about here when he speaks about the gates of Hades? Well, if we go to the Old Testament, now remember that time before Christ died on the cross, we're going to get a revelation of that. Genesis 37 35. You don't have to turn to it. I'm not going to myself. Jacob here is speaking about his son Joseph, and he says to him. Surely I will go down to Sheol mourning for my son. Now, notice his language. I will go down to Sheol mourning for my son. He's not saying, and when I die, I will go to be with the Lord. See, New Testament, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, the minute that I'm out of this tent, I live with his presence within this tent. As soon as I'm out, I'm in the immediate presence of the Lord, and I am with him forever. But in the Old Testament, it was not so. When they died, they went down. 2 Samuel 12:23, David here is speaking of the child that he lost after his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and God told him that child would die, and a son was born to him, the child died, and after he stopped fasting, they said, what is this? While the child was alive, you were fasted and you grieved, but now the child is dead, you do not grieve. And he said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. They were held in the lower parts of the earth. Job said the words, down to the pit, and another place, the bars of the pit. So there was some place they went down, sometimes referred to as a pit, mostly referred to as Sheol, which would be Hades in the New Testament, and there they were held by these bars. Now, hell, Hades, not the hell of the book of Revelation where it speaks of the lake of fire, or the lake which burned with fire and brimstone, that's another thing yet distant out here, but there is a place in the heart of the earth, one side empty now, the other side far more full than Christ ever intended because he died for all of those that are there, but there's a place still in the heart of the earth where the souls of the unregenerate are living, not living. They're living while they're dead. See, they're alive in the sense they know and can sense and can hear and can speak. But they're dead in the sense they're cut off forever from God. And make sure, every one of you that are here, that you walk in such a way. If you're here without God and without Christ, make sure you walk in such a way. When that day comes that you have to leave this tent, you're torn out, whether that be a moment from now or many years from now, Make sure when you go, you are absent from the body and present with the Lord, not absent from the body and down into Sheol. See, we'll talk about that in just a moment. I would like you to turn with me now to Luke 16, 19. Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus, was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. The poor man had nothing but a few crumbs, no medical, no doctors, no help, no one to bind up his wounds. Only a few dogs would come by and lick the sores. Now it came about that the poor man died. Now notice this please. Torn out of his tent by death, but immediately interposed, he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, this is the other side of that. He went down, but he was not heaven, but to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. There's his body here. And in Hades, hell in the King James, he lifted up his eyes. Now, here's his physical eyes in the tomb. Here's poor Lazarus laying in the potter's field somewhere, wherever they put him, for those who had no money to be buried. And his physical eyes closed. His mouth silenced. The rich man's mouth silenced. No more breath in either of them. Their bodies decay, seizes upon them. And in hell, Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, not a place of peace for the rich man, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Now notice he was able to see. Abraham will speak about this as a great gulf fixed. He was able to see across a great gulf, a chasm that separated them, which was the bowels of hell itself, the bowels of the earth. And he was able to see across to the other side. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Now here we are in the depths of darkness, the depths of hell, and yet these men are alive. One on one side, Abraham's bosom, one on the other side, a place of torment. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, gulf, King James says, in order that those who wish to come over from here to you, because they were still at that place, Many of them would have left their place of comfort and run over to help those on the other side if they could. That could not happen. And that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, let them hear the word of God. Now notice this next response from Abraham after this rich man speaks. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And I can say this to you and I, it is true. Our idea may be if we had a mighty vision from Jesus, if we were caught up to the third heaven if we had some revelation of the spirit realm that our eyes could see and our hands could touch and we could walk in it for a time, and people have tried to do that with various types of spiritual exercises, but that's up to God to let us see that or not, because we do not have to see that spiritual realm. There is a witness of the Spirit that the Word of God is true. And I am commanded by God to believe it and to walk in it. Now, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If I meditate upon the Word of God, if I pray over the Word of God, I will assure you of one thing. My heart becomes utterly, totally, completely, and absolutely convinced of the reality of what has just been said here and so far throughout the message. There was in the Old Testament a place where godly people went down into the heart of the earth and did not return again to take up a boat upon the earth. One time through, that's all. When they went down, there was one side of Hades. There was a place of torment. The other side was a place of comfort called Abraham's bosom. Now, when Jesus Christ was taken out of his body, gave himself to death, he was pulled down into that place. And Satan's aim was to get him into, permanently, that place of torment and to lock the door. So he cannot come out again. Then he would have succeeded in his plan to stop you and I from being saved or anybody from ever being saved. Because the only Savior is God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And had that succeeded, there would have been salvation for none, including those in Abraham's bosom. Their days of comfort would have come to an end because they also were guilty of much sin. And that sin could only be redeemed by Christ, not by their good life. They also would have been sucked into that side and lost forever. But thank God that is not what took place. Hallelujah. There was a battle. I'd like you to turn with me now to Acts 2.23. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Cross. And God raised him up. Now he comes out and he goes down into death. And God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now, understand about Christ. He allowed himself for three days and three nights to be held in his power. And the Bible, if you can understand, let this sink into your spirit. It was not simply that he came out of his body, went down to hell and stood there for three days. The Bible speaks about it was impossible for him to be held in the what of death? The agony of death. Jesus suffered agony for you and I. Jesus went through three days of hell for you and I. It was this terrible tearing and the fight and the battle that went on there while the Father was not with him in the direct sense, with him in the eternal sense, but not with him in the direct sense that this terrible battle went on for three days and three nights at the end of which time Christ was victorious. And how was Christ victorious? Not by his own power. For he had given up that power. He had given up that power to the Father, and down there in that pit, this battle raged. The righteous on one side looking, those on the other side looking, and this terrible battle raging in the middle here. Now, next step. Psalm sixteen, ten. I'll read these words to you. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. On the earth, Satan was aiming at another thing, and that is to bring Christ's body to decay. But that would never take place. No matter how hard he tried, he could not do it. So he's trying to hold Christ in the heart of the earth and bring his body to decay. But it says, "Thou wilt not suffer thy holy one." And God watched over that. Do you remember when the resurrection took place, and the ladies came out there? Who was there? Who was there? That's right, the angels were there guarding over that body. Satan would have done anything in his power. He would have stolen it away. He would have destroyed it. He would have done anything he could do, but he could not touch that body. The angels stood guard over that body three days and three nights. Colossians 2.15 tells what happened next. goes back to the 13th verse. And when you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision in your flesh... He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had, now notice this next wording here, when he, down the heart of the earth, and after three days and three nights, God's mighty power worked in him. I'll read about those scriptures. And by the way, that power which worked in him is the same power which works in you. And so many of us don't take advantage of that power or whatever. It's so all we're trying to do everything in our own power, and you should never be trying to do anything in your own power. The power should be the power of God that works in you. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, God. Now, what does it say he did? When that three days and three nights was up, the power of God returned to him in a mighty way. We'll read those scriptures in a moment. And he walked over the death that was trying to hold him. He hurled it off. Death is a person, an angel. He hurled it away from himself. When these demonic forces and fallen angels, they were hurled back by the mighty power of God, which suddenly manifested itself in the depths of hell. And then God walked over to Satan and put him down. He didn't only put him down there, he made a public display of him. I think he dragged him all over the universe and let the angels see it. But he certainly put him down and he disarmed him of all his armor wherein he trusted. Now what is his armor? His armor is the keys of death and hell. The Bible says he's able to hold men in bondage all of their lifetimes through the fear of death. He has no more power. Except the power to get us to not believe God. He has the power to lie. That's the only power he has. And yet, we allow him to put upon us diseases, which Christ bore, poverty, which Christ bore, sins, which Christ bore, sorrows, which Christ bore. That should not be our inheritance at all, because of what Christ did there. The Bible says he took away all his armor wherein he trusted. You remember in the New Testament, it speaks about... When this strong man keeps his palace, his goods are in order, but if it's stronger than he, he enters his palace. Now Satan didn't know it was stronger than him. See, it was the weakness of God that was displayed at Calvary. It was the foolishness of God that was displayed at Calvary. And here it was that Christ was weak, nailed to the cross, did not come down. Satan thought they had him. The Bible said the rulers of this world would not have crucified Christ if they had known who he was. And here they crucified him and he went out and Satan thought he had him pulled him down to the heart of the earth. And for three days and nights that battle raged and suddenly Christ, filled with the power of the Most High, rises up and hurls death off of himself and steps on Satan and holds him down. He made a public display of him. And I imagine Satan cried out at that time, are you going to destroy us? I'll give you my answer what I think happened. It's just a speculation, but by everything that's happened since, I believe it's probably a right speculation. I think Christ said, no, I'm not going to destroy you now. What's happened here to you is going to happen to you a million times, a hundred million times in the future. But it's not going to happen by me personally. I'm going to indwell my people that are going to rise up and in my name they're going to step on you just like I've stepped on you. They will believe me and they will tread underfoot scorpions and adders and have power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt them. He won't be defeated once. He'll be defeated by every Christian that's ever lived upon the face of this earth, if they know the power that is given them by the Almighty God, Satan, And it's meant that we're to put Satan to shame. It's meant that we're to put his angels to shame. It's meant that we're to put his demons to flight and fill them with the same kind of fear that they try to fill the people of this world with. See, that's the heritage that you have. That's the power that is given to you. That's the majesty that rests in you. And I tell you, so many of us, we're so filled sometimes with our jobs and our security, and we're trying to get this right and get that right and work this out, and the problems of the home and the children this and that, and then get in the house, and we're totally taken up with that. Instead of understanding that if we took care of this thing first, understood this first, we break those bondages that are in our lives. We break those demonic forces that control us sometimes and twist our minds and twist our hearts. And we do the same thing that Jesus Christ did. Sure, there's times we have these battles, but then we realize the mighty power of God. And I want to give you these scriptures to indicate what Christ was trying to say here. And the Apostle Paul certainly understood that. talked talk to you about Colossians. Talk to you about Luke and Matthew. He will plunder his house. Revelation 1.18 says Christ has the keys of death and hell. They're no longer in Satan's hand. He does not have the power of death anymore. Death is still an enemy must be conquered. But Satan doesn't have that power anymore. Ephesians 4, I'm going to start with 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, see, when he, now here he is in hell, When he ascended on high, so now he's coming back up out of the earth into his body, which the Holy Spirit would not allow him to suffer decay. He entered back into his own body, and he was raised from the dead. Mighty resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. That host of captives was all of those Old Testament saints that had been held in the other side, Abraham's bosom, for those several thousands of years. About 4,000 years they were held in that Abraham's bosom. Now, here's what the Bible says. Turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew 27. And we're going to look at verses 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were opened. Now let your mind go back in that day and see it. Most of which we said, Jesus rose from the dead, and then Jesus saw people. No, no, there was something along with that profound, powerful act, something tremendous drama took place. The tombs were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening became very frightened and said truly this was the Son of God. I tell you on the day of his resurrection they had plenty to be frightened of because they were out there in an area of tombs and what they saw is stones rolling away and tombs opening up and people rising up and they were literally scared out of their wits. They were scared. But they came to the right conclusion, hallelujah. The centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. He caught the vision. He understood what had taken place. And they went in the city and appeared to many. And then Jesus, on the day of his ascension, I'll tell you something, those bars that had held people for 4,000 years were cut asunder, those bars of the pit. Those gates of brass and bars of iron, they were cut in sunder. And Jesus released those captives. And the Bible says when he ascended, he led a host of captives up to the Father. Now, if you were taken in vision or in reality down into hell today, you would see one side of it, very full. And you'd look at another compartment, and there would be totally empty with gates that are cut to pieces and bars that are torn by the mighty power of our Lord Jesus Christ. As he walked in and said, come with me, you've been set free. Hallelujah. And they were led up to be with God. What mighty power was wrought there? I look at these words here because now these are the words that apply to you. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians 1. And we're going to look here at verses 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power. Now listen to that carefully. See? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now close your eyes with me, please, and I'm going to pray along with Paul. Father, I pray right now that the eyes of the understanding of your people may be enlightened that they may now behold these scriptures that we're going to speak I pray Lord that never again will they allow themselves to be subject to the lies of the devil that says they have no power or that God has forsaken them when you have made a clear statement you will never leave us nor forsake us that you have sent your Holy Spirit to live with us and to abide in us forever and that you will never leave us And you will never forsake us. Almighty God, let their eyes be opened. In Jesus' name. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the, this verse especially, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated them at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now what it's saying is this. That I want you to see Paul says to behold to understand for yourself what is the magnificent power that is working in us the very same power he says which raised Christ from the dead that same power when Satan listen and all of his hosts was fighting to hold him and he hurled him off and triumphed over him openly made a public display of him that same power is in you not will be in you, not could be in you, that same power is in you now. It's in you because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. It is released by faith. Believe that it's there. Believe that in the name of Jesus it can be released. Believe it and do it, and God will work through your life. And these demons of poverty will lose their hold. These demons of sickness will lose their hold. These demons of family disruption and demons of poverty and demons of mental sickness and demons of nervousness will lose their hold because they have no power over you. And you can call to yourself anything that the promises of God have given us in Scripture. They are yours. God wants you to ask and ask largely that your joy may be filled, the world may see, and behold Him in all of His glory and His majesty. And I tell you, Satan comes along and says, oh, this isn't for you and this isn't for you and you can't have this and you can't. Tell that liar to get away from you in the name of Jesus and start believing God's word, not the lies of the enemy. Final word here, Ephesians 3:14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's blessing, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, Jesus, let this be, Lord. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Where is the power now? In us. Not out here somewhere. Oh God, give me the power. Oh God, give me the power. Not out here. Where is the power? In us. Now it says that power that works in us, God is able to utilize it to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So here we are asking for this little thing over here. Well, Lord, I don't really ask that you heal me of my cancer. Uh, I I don't know, Lord, if that can work. Or I don't ask that you heal me of these tuberculosis. Or that you heal me of this other sickness that I have. But if you could make the pain a little easier. If you could just lighten up. If if you could help me... My brothers and sisters, the Bible says no matter what you ask for, this power is so great, He could do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or even think. And where is that power? In us. In you. But because we don't meditate, because we don't pray, because we don't give ourselves to the Word of God, like we should sometimes, then Satan has an advantage. And that advantage is, he lies to us, and we believe. Members preach a message on unbelief. We believe what he says rather than what God says. Now, brothers and sisters, it's time we turn around. Now, some of you do believe God very mightily, but I'm saying to those who have had difficulty in this area, it's time we turn around. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and we start meditating upon God's Word. We start talking about God's Word to each other. We pray over God's Word. We see those symbolisms, say, this is the truth, God, and because of this truth, because of this reason, I ask you to do this in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you're speaking to the enemy, you no longer fear that enemy. He has no power over you, but you have, and he knows you have it. But he comes to you and deceives you and says, I'm the devil and I'm strong, or I'm a demon and I'm strong, or I'm a fallen angel and I'm strong, and I can do this to you and I can do that. Or many times he comes in a different way, like a familiar friend, and you think it's your own thoughts. And it isn't your Christian thoughts, it's your old nature thoughts, your old memory thoughts. The devil stirring them up and saying, think this, believe this, act this way. Say, I recognize you, you devil. I couldn't even think of a thought like that unless you're pumping that kind of thing into my mind in the name of Jesus. Get away with that thought. I'm going to think the thoughts of Scripture because I have the mind of Christ. I have a new mind and that's what I'm going to think. See, and I know Jesus Christ trampled you underfoot and I'm going to step on you right now. And go over See, say, make some motion. To show that you disdain him, you despise him. Oh, the devil is strong. He is not strong. He has been stripped of his armor. He has been stripped of his power. He's been stripped of his weapon. He has nothing left except a lie. Don't let him lie to you anymore. Amen.